freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 372 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is History and Heels, and our guest is Ash- Ashley Lebinsky. Mm-hmm. Ashley is one of our nation's foremost authorities on firearms history. She has served as both curator for the Cody Mu- Firearms Museum and project director for the museum's multi-million dollar renovation, and her work fosters dialogue for a range of diverse audiences. Ashley is a high- highly sought-after museum consultant, guest speaker, writer, expert witness in the U.S. and Canada, and a television host and producer. Thank you. Well, welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you, guys. Wow. Absolutely. Um, so when we read that line about the museum's multi-million dollar renovation, do you, do you have like a physical reaction to how big of a project that was? Like, <laughs> or do you just you feel know, super proud? I think I'm just super proud. I mean, it's been enough years now that I, I and I'm working on so many things that I can't even talk about that are larger than that type of a project. So I'm like, eh, 12 yeah, million. They cut, not that much. They cut a like, hole in the center of the floor <laughs> and put an elevator in it. Okay. That's well, and we did that for $12 million. I mean, when you look at actual like other museum renovations, I mean, that is a very small number <laughs> compared to what a lot of people do. When you think about the fact that we put 10,000 objects on display and we were able to put all that casework, all of those mounts and all the interactors. I mean, so it would, now when I look at it with the perspective of working on so many other projects, I'm like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, that was good training ground then, I guess. Right. But holy cow. That, that's amazing. So um, you are forever changing hats. As you just said, you've got all these other projects, some we can't even talk about. Um, but one of the organizations that you are currently or very recently connected with is the Walk the Talk America. Our good friends over there. I just love Michael Sodini. Uh, and that connection began from a very personal place. I mean, you've got all these academic accolades and all the, these uh, degrees and all of this. And then here's this, this connection you have that stemmed from something very, very personal uh, in your life. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about that with us? Yeah, well, you actually introduced us. So thank you. Um, yeah, I uh... I've always been interested in understanding kind of the anthropology behind mental health and firearms ownership. When I was in college and graduate school, there were some seminars that were done within this with the state of Delaware, as well as the university on the subject. So it was something I was always interested in. And I wanted to talk to the Walk the Talk America people, especially because within the past 
couple of years, um, I was diagnosed with PTSD and then also uh, a disorder called bipolar two, which we can talk about in a second because it's it's not what people necessarily think it is. And so I was kind of trying to make sense of, you know, kind of my new reality uh, and my diagnoses and where that all fit within my role in the gun community and then my role also as a firearms owner. And I think what really started the relationship after your introduction was I was like cooking in the kitchen one night and we've got these like baller 1970s speakers throughout the house that like are attached to the house where you can like intercom, but you can also play the radio. So it's one of the only times I actually listened to like just the radio, local radio. And an ad came on and it was a USCCA ad. So sorry, USCCA. And it was like this 20 second spot and they used the word crazy derogatory in a derogatory fashion like 20 times. Like it was like, you know, people that want to hurt you are crazy. Don't let crazy people get firearms. What, you know, and it was just like, it was so tone deaf and like, I'm not like, it takes a lot for me to get like offended. But like, even I was kind of like, that's not the greatest way we could have worded things. I mean, like certainly, you know, when you use it, uh, the word crazy and like a, you know, regular context, I mean, yeah, people use it. They don't really think about it. They throw it out there. But the problem that I saw, the thing that was most frustrating is that when you say something like, well, crazy people shouldn't have guns. I mean, that's like, uh, obviously, you know, you, you when you hear that and everybody agrees with that, whether they like guns or they don't like guns. But the problem is it goes back to some of my scholarship of like, okay, but that we're saying that, but you're not actually unpacking what that means. And that that actually has a very negative stigma to people who have mental health issues, who are wholly capable and, and, and of owning firearms and also taking care of themselves. And so it was just one of those things where like, I actually think I said to Michael and Jake, the first time I talked to them, it's almost like it's a moment where like the gun control and the pro gun movement, like said the exact same thing. And they didn't even realize, you know, <laughs> that like, you know, the gun community was stigmatizing a huge group of their population, which is I think surprising because the veteran population is so strong within the gun community. So I sent off a very like hot email to Jake and Michael and I was like, all right, I want to talk about something. <laughs> and so I, you know, explained, you know, about my diagnoses and kind of the stuff that I was going through and they invited me to come on their podcast. And we essentially like, you know, ripped the bandaid off and I, I went public with my mental health um, disorders. And then they asked me to be on their board. So it's, it's neat because when I started studying firearms and when I was looking at what field I was going to go into in college, I actually audited grad level psychology courses, um, how the brain functions, that kind of thing. So it almost came full circle for me and I, I didn't really realize it. So it was, it was great. And I love working with them. They're so awesome. They really are. And, you know, I did mention Michael Sodini, but Jake was Skirshen, whose name I, Oh my gosh. Is that his name? I did not know. I was just, he's Jake Skirshen. W. I yeah. think I'm getting better at it. Um, truly amazing, uh, human beings. I mean, and they believe what they're doing. This is not just, you know, Hey, it's a fun job to have. It is a passion project that stems from very personal places for them as well. And so then to have you on the board, I, I just think that's brilliant. Um, and you are always so careful about correcting the language. We've had you on specifically for that reason <laughs> before, you know, don't call a ghost gun, a ghost gun. Why is it a ghost gun? You know, does it have a spirit? Is it floating it around the room? <laughs> it says boo. It says boo. Okay. Um, Instead of bang, it says yeah. boo. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> ah, that's hilarious. Um, so 
we have to mention that today is Valentine's Day. This is going to air on the 18th of February, 2022, but we're actually in the um, studio on Monday, the 14th. So happy Valentine's Day. Oh, thank you. Happy, happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day to you guys. And, you know, you are a historian, you, you've worked with museums, and today happens to be <clears> the 10th anniversary of the Mob Museum, right? Yes. Uh, so I, I mentioned this because it's funny, I'm going to make a social media post later about it. So uh, this is also the anniversary of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which uh, is probably a historical, a piece of history that resonates more with a lot of people on Valentine's Day than anything else. But uh, so, <laughs> True, right? so yeah, the, the Mob Museum is also one of my clients in Las Vegas. If you've never been, it's the National Museum of Law Enforcement and Organized Crime. Um, and it is like, I mean, I'm biased but it is one of the coolest museums I've ever seen in terms of like interpretation, immersion. They literally build a speakeasy in the basement. They distill their own moonshine or well, moonshine, quote unquote. Um, you know, they have a full scale speakeasy. They've got an entire crime lab um, and they've got a uh, use of force firearms law enforcement shooting simulator. So it is, and it's in this historic building uh, that it used to be a courthouse where a lot of the mob related court cases were actually held. Um, I think Tupac was shot down the street too. So they've actually done programming about Tupac. Um, and so it's just this amazing museum that got put in uh, 10 years ago. So it's, you know, really, really new in museum world. Um, but within that time, it's annually, I think it's voted in the top 10 museums in the United States. Um, it's, it's truly extraordinary. And you got to love a little bit of sense of humor because they opened on the anniversary of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And they also have a portion of the wall. Uh, so there's a really cool thing when you're up on the like it, it goes like um, top to bottom. So you take the elevator all the way up and you work your way down to the speakeasy, basically. Um, and so they've got this like display and projection and video where you sit and you watch a little bit about the history of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And then the screen, um, you know, fades away and it's actually just a projection on glass. And you can see the, the wall um, from the actual St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What's interesting, though, if you've ever been there is because it's funny because there's like the bullet holes that you can see. And then there's like this red stuff and everyone thinks it's, it's blood, but it's just it's paint like because it's a circle like the the evidence of it but so they, they're celebrating their anniversary today so happy anniversary to the mom museum and uh happy anniversary to the saint valentine's day Museum. i know i know right? <laughs> i i don't think we've been there as many times no, as we've been we to need Vegas. to go we need to do that i didn't want to yeah absolutely why didn't you want to why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't then you didn't just? No, I said yeah. I want to. Oh, yeah. I said well, I don't I want. want to. No. I didn't want to. No, no, no. I... He loves all of that stuff. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> like that. You know, one of the things that I don't know that that people uh, who are in the the gun rights world and movement, I don't know if they realize how many of the anti-gun laws were kind of you know stemmed from that time in history when the mobsters were kind of crazy out oh i use the crazy word <laughs> i just say it's so easy i use it all the time too i just took it back you know like i just reappropriated the term so. i like it, I like it. <laughs> but when they were just running roughshod over certain cities around the nation and if we did know our history better we would be able to i think head off some of the future attempts um that was the 1934 uh firearms regulations thing wasn't it because of the yeah. because of gangsters and the the major register your machine guns and it was a $200 tax, but the gun was only $12. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So people don't realize the $200 tax stamp that we have today is the same price it was in 1934, which is right. 
odd. Uh, you know, he would have thought that they could have gotten more money for it. They would have today, but yeah, the National Firearms Act played a huge role in that. And that's, so that's an interesting thing. We don't have to get fully into it. Um, I'm not a scholar on that particular subject, but it is fascinating what they tried to regulate versus what was actually being used. Um, and obviously the most visible was machine guns, which were used in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. But when you look at the larger you know, percentage of you know, Thompsons that were made, you know, obviously it was used more in law enforcement, more in the military. Um, than it was actually in crime. But the other things that they tried to add into it, um, you know, with the, they tried to add handguns into it um, and then that did not sit. And so we, you know, they ended up with short barrel guns, which we just kind of believe was just like a, like a throwback to like, they wanted handguns and they added this thing in and then they took it out and then they were like, oops, here we are. Um, so it's, it's, it's an interesting point in history, you're right. And there's other a lot of other laws that go and coincide with that as well, not just gun laws, um, obviously right. alcohol, but um, yeah, there's there's a ton of other things. I just, I'm writing an article on um, <laughs> the history and culture of strip clubs for Recoil Magazine right now. And there's a lot that goes on same time, you know, frame with decency laws and everything. So it's just a, it's a time when the government feels like they're losing control and they're like, oh crap, what do we do? And here yeah. we are now. So, yeah, so they take something that uh, bad guys that could care less about human life and laws do, and then they throw a bunch of laws on it, thinking that the bad guys- But it did, it stopped them all. It, <laughs> oh, it, it stopped it all the gun crime. Was it like a magic- Oh, 1934, there was, you ever heard of anybody- <laughs> using a gun for a crime after that yeah <laughs> anyway moving on well maybe maybe you know if you've ever shot a thompson you know it's very very heavy maybe the gangsters were like oh thank god we can use yeah. right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's <just> so heavy <laughs> right. i love it that's i i think you're on to something there um so you have a couple of new projects in the work as as far as like museums go um Talk to us about, uh, you're in the process of founding the University of Wyoming Law School's Firearm Research Center. And two of the guys that you are working with on this project are just, I mean, giants in protecting our Second Amendment through legal scholarship, right? Through legal yeah. Uh, work that they're doing in the courts. So kind of talk to us about that project. Well, I have to say this project is the brainchild of George Moxery, who's one of those two people that you, you mentioned. Um, and George is basically like an icon in the Second Amendment scholarship world, like any of the big Second Amendment law books that you've seen, um, you know, his name is one of the you know co-authors and then he works with a lot of people that whose names people recognize more like david copel is a senior fellow um on this project with us and so it's i mean it's pretty impressive to be around that type of you know scholarship uh and, and those minds because the the way to really get into the academic study of firearms right now is through second amendment scholarship um, i know we've talked on the show before about how there's a dearth of academic scholarship on firearms uh, which is still true but there is one avenue that that you know isn't necessarily true and that's second amendment scholarship um but that's also typically very political as well in nature and so there are are a lot of people that study two-way scholarship in the academic community. Um, however, they're, you know, I, I don't know how to, you can fill in the blanks on probably what those opinions would be about uh, the, the Second Amendment on there. And so there's just not a lot of breadth 
of varying opinions. Uh, but it is also a sphere where if you are someone who is a pro to a scholar, you do actually have a lot more legitimacy within that community, um, even if you don't agree with all the scholars in the field, which so that's pretty cool, right? Mm -hmm. So they are working on creating a firearms research center within the University of Wyoming Law School, because that is the most traditional route to go. There's one other one in the country that's similar. It's the Duke uh, Center for Firearms Research. Uh, the academic institutions try to be as apolitical as possible. You know, it's very clear you know, where they stand on some of those issues. And so uh, what we're trying to create at the University of Wyoming is a place where it truly is, you can come do the scholarship, make your own conclusions and partner with other groups that are still, you know, there and, and available, um, but to create something that's also goes beyond law. So we're using the law school as kind of the impetus for this, but because my background is material culture and history, you know, I'm also looking at, you know, how can we incorporate museum history and object history and technical history. And so when you look at the mind map that George made, which is like this huge sheet of paper, I mean, it's not going to stop at 2A law. It's going to go into every single avenue of academic study from economics to history to anthropology uh, on firearms you could possibly imagine. And so Right now we're in the stages of, George has already been doing stuff under the firearms research program, which he created at the university. Um, he's done workshops. Um, he had one at the Cody Farms Museum last, last year that had scholars all around the country come in. And so he's already doing stuff. So we're in the process of letting people know what's happening, um, fundraising, all that fun stuff. See fundraising, hey. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so we're in the process of that and hopefully we'll have some funds and can go in front of the Dean this uh, semester and hopefully get it approved for the fall, fingers crossed. Oh, I love that. And yeah, fundraising, it's not, it's not easy. It's one of the least fun things that, that anybody does that's part of an organization, but it, it takes money to make things happen. I would love to support an organization that is, you know, doing a, a research center that is funded by people who really believe in, you know, objective truth about gun rights, gun laws. Um, so I love that if you have a website or something that you could, um, toss at us so people could support it. So we don't have the website right now, just because that's once it goes through the university system, that's the one thing that I'm learning about is all the university system things. Um, but actually, if you just want to reach out to me, um, it's the guncode at gmail.com. I can get you in touch with George and you can get more information about it. You know, it's funny when I raised the money for Cody, it was kind of like pulling teeth to a lot of people because you have to sell people on kind of the touchy feely of understanding the history. Whereas, you know, with this, it's not been as difficult to find very interesting people because, you know, it's scholarship, what George says, you know, you know, it's the scholarship and the academic law journals and the reviews that got Heller, you know, the Heller decision, you know, passed the way that it did. And so, you know, it may, it still sounds touchy feely, but this scholarship goes directly into the hands of people who are working on lawsuits, who are working on different things in the community that then impact, you know, kind of our understanding our culture as a whole. And so it's been a lot easier uh, to talk about with people. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just a really great opportunity for us to be able to 
have a real role within the academic world and our own center that we can bring in people and we welcome you know diversity of thought obviously but you know it, it provides an opportunity for us to create it in a way that allows for that you know kind of breadth and depth of knowledge to get out into the world and you know provide in some cases a counter to other arguments that have been out there for a long time absolutely and that is so important is to have good, strong arguments that are anchored, grounded in um, true events and facts. And I I love it. That's fantastic. So another project you're working on is uh, over in, so, so Wyoming, and now we've got California. So you're still sort of on this side of the country, right? On the the Pacific coast side. And that's the LA Police Museum. Talk to us about the scope and the purpose of this project. I feel like I've so, it's so funny when like I try to start listing all the things that I do and I, I feel like I forget half of them, but the LA Police Museum, this actually Recoil got me in touch with these, uh, these people because Recoil did a feature on the museum. They do a I think every magazine they do a feature on a different historic site or museum. And so uh, they, when they were out doing a photo shoot of some of the collections to do the article, they mentioned the museum folk mentioned that they needed, um, they were looking for help and guidance on their firearms collection. And so I got put in touch with them and I hopped on a zoom call with the executive director uh, and the chair of the board. And it was really funny because I'm sitting on this zoom call and I, and I don't quite, you know, they don't have a great website. So like, I'm not really hundred percent sure what it's all about and they start saying things like well we've got you know all of the guns and gear and vehicles from the North Hollywood shootout and the onion murders and the Manson family and Marilyn Monroe and you know uh the SLA and Patty Hearst and I'm just just like what (laughs) you know and and goosebumps holy right so then when you know for someone like me who yes i'm a firearms historian but i'm also very interested in dark tourism um and, and crime history um obviously from some of my other clients so i was like be cool like in my head i was like <laughs> you need to keep it together because I don't, because I'm sure there's lots of weirdos, you know, that are like, you know, I'll work with that. Yeah, no. So I was like, just keep it, like, keep it together in your head. And so they're telling me these things. And I'm like, wow, it's, you know, it's amazing. And I like said something like, well, I, yeah, I'd love, you know, to work with you guys. So just let me know what you need. And they're like, well, we can have you come out and see if it's a good fit. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't get the job yet. So, um, so I went out to see the museum and it's a really cool building. Um, so it's in one of the former regional headquarters of the LAPD, it's in Pasadena. And uh, the chair of the board actually just retired 40 years with the, um, the LAPD. And so he actually started his career in that, in that uh, headquarters. Oh, wow. It's a small building, but um, so the building in and of itself, though, is really interesting because of that history. You go in, it's still got the front, you know, area where you check in. It's got felony cells. It's got um, misdemeanor cells. Um, it's three floors um, downstairs in the lower floor. Um, there used to be it was usually the was where the law enforcement officers would you know have their breaks. They had a shooting range down there, a test range down there. Um, and so the building is very, very impressive. And like for me going into a you know, building like a museum building that wasn't historic, you know, it's like, okay, cool. I mean, it's a nice repository, but when you can actually have your artifacts in a historic setting, I love that. So they've got the building and then they've got one of the largest collections I think I've ever seen. But the biggest issue with the LA Police Museum is that it's 
basically been operating more as like a, a, a repository for all of these artifacts that come over from evidence, uh, the DA, the DEA, you know, all of that. And so, but they haven't had a lot of museum people working there. So it's been, you know, mostly people with passion, you know, retired law enforcement, that kind of thing coming in, but they didn't have, you know, the museum mindset. Um, but they hired Erica, who's the director now, and she comes from the nonprofit world. And so I basically got to get in on the ground floor of, all right, we know we have this amazing location. We have this amazing collection, but we don't have the quality of museum that, you know, it, it, that needs to be there in order for people to come in the door and to really recognize this very significant part of American history, LA history, crime history. And so we're starting at the ground up. Um, I, I introduced them all to people at SHOT Show, which went well, another easier selling point, uh, the LAPD. And so we're working on creating a plan for their collections. They definitely need better collection storage, better processing procedures, all of that. And then the goal will be, you know, short term, let's fix all the immediate needs. Midterm, let's do a few renovations at kind of a low cost so that as we market it and get more people in the door, um, you know, they're coming to something that's, you know, decent and not something that looks like it needs a lot of work and then hopefully fundraise and do something you know, akin to what the Mob Museum has. I actually introduced them to the Mob Museum when they were in Las Vegas with me and they're already looking at collaborations and everything. So it's got that kind of potential. We just need to get it there. That is phenomenal. And I, I'm excited because we spent a lot of time in California. Pasadena is not far off from where we spend a lot of time. Is it actually open now or it's in the process of being renovated? So hit the pause button on wanting to visit. It is open. Um, I can't recall the hours, so I can send mm -hmm. them to you if you want to put them in, you know, whatever the link is yeah, for this. We'll put a link. But yeah. um, they are open. They're not open a ton right now uh, because of COVID and then also just staffing issues. Mm -hmm. So they're open during the week. I know they're open one week in a month. They do a uh, fantastic paranormal experience. So uh, that yeah, is. No thanks. That's, oh, I'm no, out it's, now. <laughs> oh, no, you don't see the photos. Marley was there. It was a whole thing. But so obviously um, having, uh, you know, Manson collections and Marilyn Monroe, all of the Marilyn Monroe evidence um, files and the North Hollywood shootout, obviously, if you believe in that sort of thing, that is definitely a place where you would um, be looking for them. Uh, and also someone did hang themselves in the felony cells, uh, which Marley actually sniffed out uh, when he was there because uh, I guess uh, concrete, everything sticks in concrete forever. So he smelled a, a dead body from the 1940s that wasn't there anymore, but uh, which is really impressive. But so they do have programming and events like that. So even if you can't go to the museum, they do cigar and whiskey nights and different things. So it is available. So I would recommend definitely go and support them now and see what we're going to do with it because it's going to be pretty impressive. Oh, I love it. Um, now I'm a big ninny. So, you know, you say paranormal. I'm like, ah, Maybe I'll look in the front window, but Dan, he'd be like, yeah. yes, I'm oh, going yeah. in. <laughs> I can't get her to watch a Disney horror movie. <laughs> There's no such thing as a Disney horror yes, movie. Well, if you guys are in California, you can go do Disneyland at night, Cheryl, and you can go do the ghost Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Jason That's and I will seat. do that. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you are going to be one of our featured speakers at our big ninth annual rally on the Arizona State Capitol lawn. It is the Celebrate and Protect Your Second Amendment Rights rally event. It's a family friendly, bring the kids, bring the neighbors, uh, food trucks, the whole thing. And that's gonna be on Saturday, February 19th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, 
any preview about what you might want to be talking to our crowd about? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, I gotta uh, write that speech, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I still don't do it. I well, because I have to keep myself contained to a very short period of time, so I will write a speech. Um, but yeah, so what I'm working on right now, I'm kind of like massaging it out, but basically I'm taking a combination of what I said to Congress uh, in May of last year about um, not ghost guns specifically, but, you know, the marketing terms, the fact that words matter um, is kind of, I think, the big the, the big theme, which I know sounds silly, but I mean, it really is. And for me, as a historian speaking at a rally, you know, it's it's kind of I think it's kind of funny, but I hopefully people will like it uh, because, you know, I'm not there. You know, I don't have the emotional story. You know, I'm not you know, I'm not a you know, I guess I'm not really like a like a Chris Chang, you know, level of advocate, you know, I'm there to provide information for people. And so for me, like I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate in five minutes, this little nugget that people can then take and use in conversation with other people as they move forward, because it, what I said at Congress, and I will come up with something, you know, different, but when it comes to these marketing terms that we use, these rhetorical terms, these political phrases, and everybody uses them, you know, to some extent, but when we, and this is, I won't say this to the crowd, but what I said to Congress was, you know, I don't know. It's not my job to tell, you know, to decide why you did that. Like whether it was ignorance, whether it was malice, like that's not, that's not my job. I'm not in your head. I'm glad I'm not like, I don't need to be there. But if you believe what you are saying, or if you believe the way you are wording a law you are proposing, if you genuinely believe in that and you genuinely believe that it will protect your constituency, then you are lying to them. Whether, you know, on purpose or unintentionally, you're lying to them because those different words that you use, the laws, the way you frame a law versus what it actually is, what it actually says, what it actually does, it's not the same thing. And so for me, you know, communicating to the gun community, really anybody, even, you know, anti-gun people, it's words matter. And, you know, the words that we use are going to inspire people to feel a certain way, which often inspires people to act. And if you are doing that and they're misled on what they think that they're talking about, then you continue to cause the chaos and the, the problem of our fighting with everybody trying to figure out things that we don't know how to figure out. And so it doesn't help. It causes noise that ultimately doesn't help us maybe really look at, you know, how we can reduce suicide or how we can actually find, you know, ways to communicate with one another that is much more effective. Um, so I'm going to try to come up with something about, you know, how you talk about something in order to have a productive conversation, which may or may not put everyone to sleep, but, you know, hopefully they're here for it. I guarantee you, you, nobody ever sleeps when you talk because you are so dynamic and so passionate And I know that five minutes, uh, that's my fault. I've given everybody five minutes to speak. (laughs) No, I actually am Um, so happy about it. I really am. Because if it was more than five minutes, I would have just riffed. And this way I can come up with something very powerful. (laughs) At least I I love it. And I love that idea because I feel like we're at a moment in history to to borrow from um, scripture, uh, from the Old Testament. I feel like we're in a moment similar to the Tower of Babel, where we suddenly we can't even agree on, you know, anything anymore. Every single thing, there's a left side and a right side. And, you know, so many things have become political. And if we can just understand, as you said, words matter. And, and the, the 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for, where words come from, <laughs> the etymology of words. Yeah. Um, they matter, right? Yeah. So where does the word start from? How has it morphed and shifted and changed and over time, you know, changed to be something else? Those things are important. I find them fascinating. And so uh, just to even break down that piece of it uh, that you talked to Congress about, I think that that is, is a wonderful thing. And I think the crowd will be very excited just to, to get a chance to see, I mean, you are an Arizonan, but you are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, kind of pretty much. I'm a so, new Arizonan though. Yeah. We were not born and raised like my husband. <laughs> yes. And brag on your husband for a minute. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my husband's Mark Hanish. I know, I think we've talked about him before. Um, he's the president of global sales and marketing for Ammo Inc., uh, which is also gun broker now. And he's a pro shooter, although I haven't seen him really shoot a competition in a couple of years since he took over um, with the sales department of Ammo Inc. It's just been a really crazy ride for them. I mean, they went from being this tiny little company to, you know, on NASDAQ and uh, the stock POW, P-O-W-W. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's grown so much that he really hasn't had a chance to, to shoot much. Although next week we are uh, yeah, next week we are heading down to Texas. There's a friend of ours, uh, Jim Hodge with Hodge Defense does a tactical uh, hog hunt every year for a small group of us. And so we're going to go down and hunt some pigs with our night vision and thermals. And uh, it's it's always a lot of fun. Oh, I love that. I saw in your uh, Facebook thread, you were talking about that, the hunt and, you know, the need for proper fashion and attire and, you oh, know, course. We're, we're ladies. We're fashionable. We like to have the, the right things and look cute. Even when you go that. pig hunting? Even when we go pig hunting. Oh, I, look, I always look pretty cute. I put a hat on though, so I don't have to worry about it. But <laughs> you will, and the funny thing about this, this hunt is every year it's got a theme. Um, and there's a huge theme party like on the last night and you have to dress up and these guys go all out. And um, this year's Old West. So I bought a steampunk West outfit, which I'm very oh, cool. excited about. Yeah. I cannot wait to see those pictures. Yeah. You, you're going to knock it out of the park. And, and you don't mess around with costuming either. I mean, you go full in with everything. Yeah, usually. Yeah. Well, the two years ago, we couldn't go on the hunt last year, but two years ago it was eighties, uh, you know, hair band. And so I was uh Tawny Katane, um, on the, you know, in the, from the white snake video. And I mean, like I literally, you can scroll back through my Instagram. I mean, it was, I had the crimped red hair. I bought everything. And then one of my friends had a giant truck. So I did like, uh, I was like doing splits on the truck and stuff (laughs) to recreate it. It was so much fun. Yeah. I love that. So do you have a steampunk gun? No. Uh, well, a friend of ours uh, is loaning us something. So we are um, always very unprepared for this hunt. Other people are prepping it for like six months. Like uh, you know, Dwayne Liptak with Magpul. Um, he's been hand loading his own black powder cartridges and is only going to shoot sharps and like things. And like, like they, people go so hardcore. And then we're like, time again it's not yeah. like you don't have a thing or two happening in re- in your life though, yeah you know? so, so we're not great but i well, and i'm a little disappointed because i was trying to figure out what i wanted to be um what was easy to acquire and i ended on steampunk and then i was trying to figure out mark's costume and uh i'm making him be uh captain mal reynolds from uh firefly slash serenity and i was like I could have literally just bought a jumpsuit and been the engineer and like <laughs> called it good. But now I'm, see, I got to commit to steampunk because I don't know when else I 
I would have an excuse to wear that. That's true, but you're going to look <laughs> phenomenal. All right, lady, how do people continue to follow all of the stuff you do? Is there like one hub for all the walk the talk America and all the different museums, or do we just have to go to all the different websites? Uh, pretty much all the different websites, but I would say my Instagram is probably the best place to go for, like, if you want to see all the different things that I'm doing and that's at history and heels and also on Facebook at official Ashley Lipinski. Um, but that place I post all the different things I'm doing. I try to break it up and then I post links to that. So if you don't want to try to find all of the different websites, just follow me and you'll see that I post about it and share all the information you could possibly want. Fantastic. I'm so excited to see you on the lawn of the Arizona yes. State Capitol this Saturday, February 19th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And uh, when you say history and heels, that reminds me that lawn is very, very soft. So maybe tennis shoes that day. I don't know. Um, it'll either be Louboutin sneakers or I have a very chunky Louboutin boot. That, that'd be beautiful. Cause I always wear a heel, but you know, it's I a quit. little heel. I quit wearing it's heels. not like your heels. I'm not yeah. wear heels. No heels for you, Dan. You're no. gonna okay. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miss Ashley Lebensky. We will bye -bye. see you soon. All right, bye. 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 Thank you. She's so she fun. is she is amazing and she's always doing something. Always. I mean, she has to be doing stuff when she's sleeping. But I want to talk about walk the talk for a second. Okay. You know, um they they're doing a great great job. And we're going to do a benefit auction for them soon at Potter Gold Auctions. Oh, well, tell the folks out there. What, well, we what don't have all the information yet. We're still okay. gathering uh, donations. We're going to do a 100% funds go to Walk the Talk. And we've got a couple, we've got some shotguns and we're, we're building it. So keep an eye on it. We, we think that uh, organization's great and we want to help them if we can. I am so glad you remembered that. I, that had left my mind. So yes, we are super honored. It started because I think uh, Michael Sodini got a donation from Glock and it was like a certificate, you know, pick the Glock you want and a little mm -hmm. bit of swag and backpack and stuff like that. And we kept having this conversation back and forth. And he's like, I'm just not sure how to turn this into money because the organization Walk the Talk America needs money more than it needs the Glock. And I was like, well, shoot, we can totally do right. an auction, but you know, let's do it for more than just the one item. And I think as soon as he put the word out to other uh, gun manufacturers and things like that, people responded positively and, and started talking about different donations they wanted to give because it is, it, it's so important the other side that hates our rights, they want to say that those of us on, on the side of our rights don't care anything about human life. We don't care anything about people Safety. who are suffering with mental health issues. And Michael Sodini and Jake Raskirshen and their new board member, Ashley Lebensky, stepped up and said, no, that absolutely isn't the truth. And we are the proof of that. And the work that we're doing is the proof right. of that. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Hopefully that we'll get that together soon. Yeah. We're still looking for more donations. We need more guns. Yeah. Well, um, this show of course airs in 2022, but, uh, hopefully this will be an ongoing project we have with walk to talk America. And so when you are watching this, whenever it is, just check our website yes. and see if there's something happening on uh, that's P O G auctions.com stands for pot of gold auctions.com. All right. Fantastic. Can you catch it with AZ firearms auctions too? Mm -hmm. 
azfirearmsauctions.com. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. They'll take both. will take you there. All right. Well, that was exciting. I cannot wait for rally day. The weather is going to be perfect because it's Arizona because it's Arizona. I think zero chance of rain. I mean, Please, even good there. weather comes here where we have, where we're treated like adults and free. Yeah. Right. And uh, like 77 degrees and there's going to be a junior Patriot park for the kiddos and our lineup of speakers. I mean, Ashley Lebensky, that tells you right there, this is top notch uh, speakers from all across the nation. Some based here in Arizona, some from all over uh, Alan Gottlieb. Of the well, how many Amendment speakers Foundation. do you have about 20? 29. And, and I don't know if that counts me, maybe 30. <laughs> this is, this is put out by who? So Riders USA started this event nine years ago. Our organizations, AZ Firearms Auctions and Podigold Auctions and Gun Freedom Radio, we kind of banded together with them about what, four, five years ago? I think so. And um, so all together, we put this event on, we start planning about five months in advance and it is the most fun. Even the planning of it is fun because we are all so geared towards celebrating the rights we have and protecting those rights and trying to restore any that that people have let slip away over time. It's a lot of fun. And uh, Riders USA is going to have a bike ride there. Mm -hmm. So there'll be a lot of motorcycles. It's pretty fun to watch those come in. Um, yeah, like I said, there's going to be a kid park. Mm -hmm. It's it's easy to get around there. And, you know, don't let the news fool you. They said we had a couple dozen people last year. <laughs> well, we had a couple dozen hundreds of like five, 6,000 people. Yeah. And there was room for everybody. Um, you get to meet really neat people. Yeah. Um, every type of person's there. They come with their, they come with their firearms or they're loaded and everybody's responsible. Uh, just to let we you are know so. constitutional carry state so you're free to bring your right. firearm you just be a responsibly armed citizen which we have always every year we've had people with open carry concealed yep. carry we've not even had a hangnail right we've not even had a you know a bump toe we <clears throat> are um truly uh committed to safeguarding our rights through responsible gun ownership and the, the people that show up at this rally uh, even more so. Very and you ask, so. and you ask, why should I come to this rally? Okay. And the reason you should come to this rally is because you're unique. We as responsible gun owners need to get our voice out there. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there that have ideas and things that could help you having the conversations with the people that are on the fence or not even on the, near the fence, mm -hmm. maybe a, new gun owner that's that's just trying to find out what's going on anyway there's so much information there you're going to meet so many people and even the speakers when they get off the stage they'll talk with you absolutely you know? it is a i love taking selfies with uh friends and uh you know it is a selfie rich environment right. and i'm, I'm, I'm to only going to mention <laughs> i'm only going to mention a few but alan gottlieb's there going to be there Get your picture with him. You get your picture with Mark uh, Mark Walters. Mm -hmm. He's going to be there. AWR Cheryl Hawkins. Todd's going to be there. Cheryl Todd, who's that? And uh, Ashley's going to be there. There's so many. And um, these are all Sue people Ritter. that are fighting hard for your rights. Mm -hmm. it's Not just gun rights, all rights. It's a wonderful event. It's so much fun. I really hope that uh, everybody will 
come out and just enjoy the fun, the food, the friendliness, and you just might learn a thing or two yeah. in the process. I enjoy talking to the DPS that's there. Mm -hmm. The you know Arizona Department of Public Safety is there, and they're nice people. They are so absolutely. All right, we have got to get out of here. Um, if you, you know what? First, let me thank. Let me thank Ashley Lebensky, our awesome guest today. Thank you to our listeners all over the world. If there is internet, we have people who have tuned in to the video portion of this show, the audio only portion of this show. We value that. When you take these conversations around your dinner table and your carpools and your soccer practice uh, friends, that's everything. That shows that it matters. What we talk about here matters. And uh, thank you for that. Yes. And if you want to go back and watch any of the videos that we have put up, uh, because you can do it two ways, right? So if you like to watch us talk with our, speak with our guests who are subject matter experts, you can go to our YouTube channel, our gun streamer channel, or the smartphone app called Ops Lens. And whichever one of those platforms you like the best, please subscribe and hit the notifications so you stay on top of all of the new episodes that we post. But if you like to just listen, maybe you're out doing some yard work, taking a long bike ride, whatever, then go to our website for the audio only version, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the on demand tab and do what, Dan? Binge listens to your heart's content, darling. Beautifully done. Got to toss your hair a little bit. When you I, say. I don't have any hair to toss. <laughs> Um, and if you want to uh, see photos and bios and links to all of the works of all of the guests we've ever had, then you click the guest tab. It is a huge and growing resource. And when you spend time there, we don't hate that. Nope. Sure yeah. don't. All right. Well, until next time, we are going to pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, even the ones we don't like, especially the ones we don't like. <laughs> almost like you've done that before i have beautifully done all right um until next time be good to each other have a great week bye-bye god bless bye-bye